0: Thrive Sweet Productions presents The Perception Veil There are strange, powerful, and unexplainable forces that are out in the universe. Here on this planet, there are many who have been witness to the awesome power of something otherworldly. For some, It's fascinating, but for others, the experience can be a terrifying glimpse into a realm that most of us never see or encounter. This story was sent to me by a man who first felt the enormous power it could wield, and then came face to face with it in all its terrifying glory behind the perception veil. To start off, I want to make a few things fully clear. I will openly and proudly admit that I have always been utterly fascinated with strange things such as the paranormal. As a child, I would experience odd things that were jarring and frightening. However, even at a young age, I learned to approach them with a sense of reason and logic rather than fear and base instinct. This is mainly due to my father. Not only is he a highly trained and successful engineer, whose very worldview is logic and reason, he is also overly critical and even violent with the way he reacts to unpleasant or opposing information. It was his training and awful responses that forced me to collect as much believable data as possible if I wanted to tell of my experiences. Those early encounters and desire to understand them served as the basis for the years of research into many fields of the unexplainable and fantastic that has come to color my life. I'm 35 now, and my knowledge and experience of all things abnormal is quite substantial. Ghosts, vampires, werewolves, quantum mechanics, energy manipulation, the afterlife alternate realities and dimensions, solfeggio frequencies, resonant harmonics, extraterrestrials, you name it, and I have almost certainly researched it with wide-eyed, childlike wonder coupled with discerning logic and reason. Too bad there is no college degree for such things. I would hold a doctorate by now if there were such a degree. Going hand-in-hand with research in any field is experience that I also have an abundance, though not nearly as much as I would like. I am extremely sensitive to energies of all sorts, and can even command them to a minor degree. I can sense and read all forms of energy around me, whether it is raw, primordial energy, or the emotional energy of people near me with precision. I am an empath, as emotional energies can do quite a number on me if I do not take steps to shield myself before entering into an emotional situation. Yet, for most every encounter, there is almost always an obvious lack of fear for me. I attribute that to my ability to read energies so acutely and sense intent. Normally, these encounters serve only to inspire excitement, wonder, and interest as my default reaction. As I said, I am truly fascinated by all things that fall outside of the normal and mundane spectrum. Scattered throughout my mostly interesting and thought-provoking experiences are a handful of encounters that have managed to overpower my natural wonder and curiosity with base fear. One encounter stands out as both one of those exceptions to that rule and as a solemn reminder that much of what I am fascinated and intrigued by is both dangerous and beyond my scope of real understanding. Now, more than a decade later, just the memory of it overwhelms me with a remnant of the terror I experienced one night in the middle of nowhere. It was the summer of 2004. At the time, I was living in my hometown of Florence, Alabama, in the extreme northwest corner of the state. I just celebrated my 20th birthday and finished my second year in college. My mother was, and still is, a saint. Out of the kindness of her heart, she was willing to let me continue living at home while I was in school, but with only one condition. She asked that I at least have some sort of income. A few months prior to this incident i had taken a job as a home delivery newspaper carrier with the local paper for some extra money i have never been good with large groups of people and i have always been as much of an individual as one can be pair this with severe anxiety and most normal jobs become a near impossibility for me something that i still deal with to this day this job was perfect for me Three hours driving around just delivering newspapers in the most rural areas without anyone bothering me was ideal. I took in a lot of music and a lot of audiobooks on that route. Plus, I got to keep the money from the two coin-operated boxes the gas stations I serviced kept on top of the normal pay that I got. And Needless to say, it was a pretty nice setup for me. That was also the time when my studies into the other side really took off. I was spending quite a bit of time researching the supernatural, and in apparent lockstep, more was happening to me, and my senses were uh, becoming sharper. I had also met others who shared similar gifts. We would organize outings and group research as a way to either confirm or deny whatever it was we might have been looking into at any given time. The area I lived in was historically a very active place and even considered haunted. We were ravenous to put our skills to the test and visited more locations than I can recall collecting data and testing theories. Those days were the most supernaturally active in my life. I was able to encounter more in roughly three years than in the 12 after. The actual route that I ended up taking was very rural most of my customers lived on small farms or just out in the middle of nowhere the first two-thirds of the route were mostly driving between customers it wasn't until the last third where the aforementioned gas stations were located on a major county road that any semblance of suburban life could be seen with so little going on between actual deliveries i didn't have Much more to do than listen to music or audiobooks and just observe my surroundings. It didn't take me long to realize that those surroundings felt… well… off in certain places? Almost directly halfway through the route, I would cut from one major road to another via two intersecting dirt roads, uh, country roads 120 and 121 respectively most everywhere else on the route, I would only pick up on weak and isolated blips of energy that I rarely encountered in the same place twice. These two roads were different. Their effects and atmosphere remained constant no matter when I drove through. As soon as I would turn onto the first dirt road, the entire energy signature would change. I felt as though I was entering a different and isolated reality that sense of separation was made worse by the dense line of trees on both sides of the road allowing only the road and the sky above to be visible the sense of being watched was nearly overwhelming here it was as if there were dozens of individual sources of awareness all around me as i sped down those paths any researcher worth anything knows better than to go on pure instinct, no matter how strong the urge may be. Almost immediately after realizing there was something setting my senses off, I began taking notes of each day's experience to look for anything that stood out. I wanted to make certain, or as certain as I could reasonably be, that there was really something going on here. After a few months of growing unease, I asked a fellow sensitive to accompany me on a night's paper run. This friend of mine, Amy, was a truly incredible individual in terms of supernatural talent. I am sure many of you have heard of the concept of the veil that separates our reality from another and our own world where ghosts, spirits, and other paranormal entities call home. But for her, there was no veil. She could see and interact with beings on the other side as if there were no barrier between them. Her reality and perception were such that she was never able to have anything resembling a normal childhood. I suppose that when you are five years old with the capability to see and interact with spirits and were gifted with precognition, normal becomes a relative term. And before you ask, yes, we did test and retest her claims time and time again. Amy was unquestionably the real thing. Now, I may possess a fair bit of knowledge, but my actual skills in the supernatural realm are mainly limited to energy sensitivity. I am able to do some minor energy work akin to Reiki, but nothing remotely spectacular. But my ability to sense energy is insanely keen. And because of this, and the daily notes I would take, I knew that without doubt that those two roads had stories to tell. And if I could sense it, Amy would likely be able to see it. Neither of us were prepared for what was about to happen. We picked up my papers at the drop site around the usual 1 a.m. drop time and took off toward my first customer. For the first part of the route, we just talked about various supernatural experiences and theories we had, as well as other random small talk and you know just having fun. She half-marveled, half-joked about how far out this route was, citing similarities to Deliverance and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in jest. I couldn't really argue with her, the route took us way out into the country. I was even startled by a scarecrow of all things at one point, so you know, this was as rural as it gets. As we drew nearer to 120 and 121, I grew increasingly nervous. I don't know if it was anticipation or something more like a warning trying to get my attention, but it was enough to show through for Amy to physically see. I tried to keep calm and fight it down so as not to unknowingly affect whatever opinion she may have once we drove through. I wanted as unbiased and clear a result as we could get. Finally, we turned onto County Road 120 and the familiar, constricting and otherworldly sense enveloped the car. As soon as my tires met the dirt of the road, Amy went still. At first I could tell she was simply watching and on alert. But it only took seconds before her entire demeanor shifted. By the time we found the pavement of the main road, Amy was in the floorboard of my 1988 Oldsmobile Delta 88 curled up in a fetal position, and she was crying. That more than anything scared the hell out of me. This girl was afraid of absolutely nothing that she saw, and she was one who saw and interacted with some intensely disturbing entities in her life. Nothing we had encountered before had seemed to faze her in the least. She was always the one who kept calm when the strangest and freakiest stuff happened. To see her like this now was unnerving beyond belief. I pulled off as soon as I was able to help her back into the seat and then calm her down a little bit. Ten minutes and an entire Grande Espresso later, she was able to speak again. Reluctantly, I asked what she had seen that had scared her so badly. I was right to be reluctant, because her answer chilled me. She said that within seconds of turning onto that road, she saw hands, dozens of bloody hands, raking and grabbing at my car, accompanied by wailing screams and shrieks. The obvious fear in her eyes was more telling than her description, even as disturbing as it was. It was confirmation of my findings, all right, just not quite what I was expecting or even wanting. We finished the route with far less conversation than we had started with. It may seem like this is where my story ends, but this is only where it takes a darker turn. Amy's experience and affirmation of what I sensed out there was only the point where things picked up and led me to the truly terrifying part of this tale. As it was, I was left pondering several problems. One was the immediate issue of what she saw. I was going to be driving that route every day as long as I kept that job. I had no idea if it could be dangerous in any way, which forced me to have to ask if keeping the job was worth it. If I quit, I couldn't tell my mother that ghosts had scared me away. For all of her own interest in the paranormal, she wouldn't buy that. In the end, I decided to keep the route and just grit my teeth when I drove down those two roads. And I hoped that nothing would physically happened to me. As the end of the summer was approaching, I was feeling better about the route. 120 and 121 were still eerie as hell, retaining the strange, otherworldly, and separated quality they always had, but I had learned to push it aside in the few short minutes I had to be on those roads. I figured that, since nothing more had happened after Amy's ride-along in nearly two months' time, that I should be just fine beyond the energy surrounding me. I turned out to be very, very wrong. One night, near the end of June, I turned onto County Road 120, then onto County Road 121, as I had every day for the past seven months. As always, the pervasive sense of being somewhere else remained, but as I said, I had forced myself to get used to it. Just a few short seconds after turning onto 121. Something rammed into the rear driver's side door with enough force to cause me to begin fishtailing out of control. It proved to be more than I was able to handle, and I ended up ramming into a tree. I was now at a dead stop, my car crippled on what was now known to be a spiritually active and scary road. My instincts took over as the fear hit me. Hoping that it would still run, I kicked the car into reverse and hit the gas. The car did obey my command, so I righted myself and gunned it to the main road at the end of 121. From that point to my next stop, which was one of the gas stations, was a long drive in the country of about 10 minutes. I used that time to calm my racing heart and mind. The whole way there, I watched as a constant thin white cloud of what looked like steam rise from the front of my car. Somewhere in the panic of my thoughts, a rational voice internally groaned at the probability of a hole now in my radiator. When I arrived at the gas station, my nerves were back to functioning levels, though far from okay. My first priority was to assess the damage. I went to the front of my car to see how bad the impact with the tree was. The entire front fender and grill was caved in a perfect triangle with the point piercing the radiator, confirming my fears. Great, I thought to myself. It didn't look as bad as it could have been, and I judged that I could likely finish the rest of the route and make it home. The next priority was to see the damage from what hit me. With as hard as the impact was, I was expecting to see the entire rear driver's side door caved in. By God, I was hit so hard it felt like a deer randomly decided to bodily hurl itself at the car. What I saw absolutely stunned me. There was no damage to the door at all, not a scratch or a fleck of paint out of place. How could something with Obvious size and mass hit with such force, enough to push me off the side of the road and then not leave a trace of impact. It just didn't make any sense. Remember, this is a 1988 Oldsmobile Delta 88. This was a big and heavy car. For something to knock around a land barge like that the way I had just experienced required serious force. I was freaked out before, but now I was just plain scared. I hastily refilled the paper box and pulled out of the gas station towards the furthest customer on that stretch before heading back in the direction of town and my few remaining customers. This stretch would be where the real terror happened. I turned right onto the main road from the gas station to a customer about half a mile down the road. I'll never forget this person's mailbox, because it was a custom brick creation the owner had made himself. Every time I saw it, all I could think about was how awful it would be to run into it. Heading in the direction of this customer found a large cow pasture on my right side. Separating the pasture from the road was a very wide and deep drainage ditch. Seeing as how the area was right on a large creek that was prone to flooding, it was a perfectly sensible thing to have. It had to be about three feet wide and four feet deep. As I said, it was a large ditch. I made it to the mailbox, delivered the paper, and used the customer's driveway to turn around as I did every morning. Now facing the opposite direction, the pasture and the ditch were on my left, the driver's side. I will be the first to admit that I startle easily, and I am jumpy. Throughout my childhood, people found it to be loads of fun to sneak up on me or startle me in any way they could get me to jump or do something amusing in response. As annoying and upsetting as that was, and still is, I can at least admit that it must be entertaining to watch. Honestly, I feel that this is the key reason why I have such good reflexes. Being easily startled is not the same as being easily scared. To be startled is a momentary reaction that doesn't leave any real lasting feeling after the initial response. Most people get over being startled within a few seconds to a minute. Being scared runs deeper than that. It settles in on a far more instinctual level, influencing every thought that follows while under that influence. I may startle easily, but I do not scare easily. My natural fight or flight response has always been fight, so I tend to face fear down when I have no choice. Normally, my own stubbornness and self-dignity are enough to keep fear from winning that battle. Normally. Not this time. Not even close. I was trying to take it easy on my crippled car, just trying to get done with a little bit of the route I had left before getting home as fast as possible without doing any more damage. I was almost back to the gas station I had stopped at, signaling that I was on the very last bit of the route. I sensed it first, a wave of cold dread that wrapped me in less than a second. A mere second later, I saw it, whatever it was. Something was standing in the ditch and it was huge. It was a solid, black mass, in the shape of a heavy, set four-legged animal. I know this thing had to be enormous due to the fact that I could see its entire main body and the upper parts of the legs. Given the depth of the ditch, the monster had to be seven feet at the shoulder. I also had a perfect size comparison just behind the fence, directly behind the entity running away from it were several cows, all of which were as tall standing on the solid ground where this thing's body alone began. When I saw it, it was a solid black mass, I doubt that you are picturing what I saw. It seemed to have no real physical substance to it. As if it were just shadow or darkness formed into a loose concept of a shape, its edges seemed to give off darkness the way the heat from the road rises on a really hot day. The most depressing and overwhelming detail of this thing was not in how it looked, but what it did. Now, recall that I mentioned a wave of dread and fear. The closer I got to this thing, the stronger that fear got. It was as if the damn thing was made of terror, radiating it like a star radiates heat and light as if to put a final emphasis on the encounter, it raised its head from searching in the ditch to look right at me as I passed. There were no facial features to it, just a longish neck with a loosely canine shape atop it for a head. There were no eyes, it had no ears, nose, or mouth, just a form of living darkness that was now facing me. The terror intensified exponentially, and my stomach turned to jelly. I floored the gas pedal and took off in a fear driven panic, utterly forgetting the last few customers remaining on the route. I would be charged for missing them, but I didn't give a darn about that. I just wanted to get out of there. I almost made it home before my car finally died. I had to call my mom to get a tow truck i told her where i was and in a few short moments she pulled up and waved to me to get into her car as soon as i got into the car she knew something was wrong my mom is a career nurse and she's a very good one there is no hiding when something is wrong from her i can still see her face and hear her voice as she asked me what was wrong it was as if the panic still clung to me and was affecting her It likely didn't help that I was openly showing signs of extreme fear. All I could do was numbly shake my head and tell her I really did not know what had happened. It took a day, or I think maybe two, for me to calm down enough to be able to tell her, which was met with both skepticism and concern. After that, I spoke to my district manager about transferring me to a different route, which she managed to do within a day or two. When he asked me what had happened, I simply told him that I had hit a deer and uh, wanted to go somewhere with lower populations of them. That was enough for him, and no more questions were asked. I took my new route in the city limits, which I kept for nearly two more years. Fifteen years after that incident, I can tell you that I have had many more supernatural encounters, a handful of them frightening enough to overwhelm my fascination and wonder for the paranormal. However, nothing has terrified me quite like this event did. Nothing I have come across before or since has made me feel so powerless and terrified on the primal level like this thing did. Of course, I did heavy research looking for anything that might match the description of what I crossed that morning. I have discovered many beasties and entities that come close from across many religions, cultures, and regions, but none have been close enough for me to say definitively what that thing was. If anyone out there wants to take a stab at it, by all means, be my guest. I would love to know what scared me so badly that day. So, what are your thoughts about what this person experienced on those lonely Alabama backroads. Does the description of what he saw out of his car window that day strike a chord with you? Is it easier and safer for you to pass it all off as a fantastical imagination, something conjured from the dark recesses of the mind rather than the dark dynamism of the paranormal world? Dismiss it if you would like, but that may be like turning the light on and crawling under a blanket as protection from a sharp-fanged beast from your nightmares. But until we can figure out what is really happening, entities like this will lurk just on the other side of the perception veil. This is Steve White, the host of The Perception Veil. Thanks for stopping by and listening to this episode. It was sent to me by a real person about their real-life experience. Now, if you have a paranormal, supernatural story that you would like to share, you know, something that you just can't explain rationally, you know, I'd love to read it. Or, even better, have you tell your own story. You can send your story to... The Veil, V-E-I-L, at gmail.com, and I'll be in touch. Also, if you like the podcast, rate and review wherever you're listening. And if you'd like to support it in another way, you can buy me a coffee. There's a link in the show notes. Be well, and I will see you on the other side of the veil soon. This has been a Thrive Suite production, copyright 2024,